coming up on Garden Talk. If you're adding, uh, you know, algae to the soil, if you're adding rock sand, whatever you're doing to the soil, you can come back and measure it two or three, four weeks later and see whether it's having an impact increasing the biomass. Because if it is, you want to continue to do it. So when the plant seed germinates in new soil, it brings with it the kinds of bacteria that are beneficial to that particular plant. Start out knowing what the soil food web is. It's going to be really easy to start gardening. If you go chemical, you got to figure out what those chemicals do, how much to use, how much to measure, when to use them, when not to use them. It really makes gardening work. And it's not supposed to be work. It's supposed to be a wonderful hobby. What's up, everybody? If you that don't know me, my name is Chris, a.k.a. Mr. Grow It, and you're tuned into the Garden Talk podcast. This episode number 85. In this episode, I interview Jeff Lowenfels. Jeff is the author of the award-winning Teeming With series of books, Teeming With Microbes, Teeming With Nutrients, Teeming With Fungi, and the brand new Teeming With Bacteria. In this episode, he talks about the soil food web, microbes, and several other things that relate to organic gardening. Thanks to all of you who support this podcast through Patreon. If you'd like to support, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash mrgrowit. Before we get into it, I want to acknowledge that one of my goals for this podcast is to bring zero cost for information about gardening, all plants, to the general public. That being said, I'd like to thank the sponsors of today's episode who helped make that goal possible. Thanks to VivoSun for sponsoring this episode. VivoSun has been one of the top manufacturers of horticulture equipment for over 10 years. As some of you have seen in my grow videos, I have grown successfully using their grow tents, their inline fans, LED grow lights, HID grow lights, and numerous accessories. VivoSun continues to create really interesting technology that makes home gardening easier. Check out their website at vivosun.com. I will provide a link in the YouTube description section below. AC Infinity is sponsoring this episode. They have two different series LED grow lights, the Ion Board and the Ion Grid. The Ion Board fixtures are board style and use Samsung LM301B diodes, while the Ion Grid series has an open center design and uses Samsung LM301H diodes. I'll have a link in the description section below so you can learn more about these grow lights. And you can use discount code MrGrowIt if you're buying off their website, acinfinity.com. That discount code works for all AC Infinity items. Or discount code MrGrowIt15 if you're buying off Amazon. And we are back. Welcome to the Garden Talk podcast. Today I am joined with Jeff Lowenfels. How are you doing today? Great. Couldn't be better. I'm excited to have you on. You are a well-known author, mostly known for your incredible Teeming With series. You released Teeming With Micros back in 2010, which I actually have right here. So awesome, awesome book. I love it. Teeming With Nutrients in 2013, Teeming With Fungi in 2017. You actually put out an auto-flowering book as well in 2019. And then brand new just released, now available, Teeming with Bacteria here in 2022. I just ordered that today, actually. I'm super excited for that one. I can't wait to start reading it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> no, it's I, I've obviously read it, but uh, it really messed me up because I used to have a trilogy. So I call myself Lord of the Roots. 
And now it's what's known as a quadrilogy. Uh, actually a word, quadrilogy, uh, four books on the same basic subject. That's what it means. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's pretty exciting. I, I, I can't wait for people to get into this new book because it really is a major change to the soil food web. No, I can't wait. Yeah, I'm super excited. Let's talk about today's episode. I'd like to get into microbes. And I want to start with the basics of the soil food web and then get a bit deeper into things. Uh, but, but first, before we do that, uh, what I like to do with all guests is an introduction. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you sure. got into gardening? Well, uh, I'm 73 years old, maybe 70. Yeah, maybe 74. Uh, I started gardening when I was about six months old in a little basket. My father used to bring me out to his his gigantic garden. He was a frustrated uh, New York City worker who lived out in the country, and he would come home and he would garden. And if you wanted to be around my dad, you gardened. Uh, and so I learned at an early age. Unfortunately, uh, he was not organic until, oh, I would say I was about 15. So I learned as a chemical head uh, and then was exposed to organic uh, gardening, which had just started actually back then, believe it or not. And uh, I've been gardening ever since, and I've been organic uh, basically ever since, with one small exception, uh, a chemical that uh, uh, is very well-known, a very well-known fertilizer, the guy that, the guy that, it was in charge and, and in sort of invented the company, uh, and it ends in GRO, uh, worked for my dad and my grandfather and put my picture on a margarine package. Uh, they were in the butter business. And so he, he made me Happy Boy Margarine. You can Google that and find my picture. Um, but because of our friendship with him, we would be organic, except occasionally we'd use that product. Uh, I've learned since that that product is not good for the soil food web. Uh, and that probably gives us a good jump off point to talk about what the soil food web is. Yeah, absolutely. What is the soil food web and why should gardeners care about it? Okay. Well, everybody, I think, is familiar with what's known as a food chain, you know, where the little guy gets eaten by the bigger guy who gets eaten by the bigger guy. Well, there are all these chains down in the soil of various organisms. And every now and then, something on one of the chains looks up or looks down and sees a different chain and says, hey, I can, I can eat that guy. And so they connect these chains, get connected together, and they form a web. It's basically uh, a description of who eats whom in the soil. Now, normally we would leave it there, but we're gardeners. And so we grow vegetables and, and we grow flowers. We grow all sorts of terrific plants. And so, so from our perspective, the soil food web also includes the plant. And the plant is in charge. It takes photosynthetic energy, up to 50% of it, and it creates these things that drip out of the root zone that attract bacteria and uh, uh, fungi. And they're attracting the bacteria and fungi because the bacteria and fungi need the carbon that's in these exudates. You're exudating right now, sweat. Uh, and that sweat actually attracts bacteria uh, and fungi. Uh, uh, but in the soil, it attracts the bacteria and fungi they're very happy living right by the root zone in what's known as the rhizosphere, that little area right around the root. Uh, and, and, and they, in turn, attract the things that eat them. Protozoa, which we all studied in high school, amoebas, 
and paramecium. If people think back to 10th grade, they may remember that from biology class. Uh, and and uh, uh, nematodes, which are a true microscopic worm, their hair size. Uh, and they eat the bacteria and the fungi because they need carbon too. And so they take the carbon out of the bacteria and fungi, uh, and the excess is pooped out, for want of a better word, and it's nutrients in plant-usable form, particularly all-important nitrogen. And this is moved into the plant, and that is how the plant feeds itself. Now, notice I say the plant feeds itself. The plant is in control. And if it needs a different kind of food, if it needs to protect itself a different way, it can attract different populations of bacteria and fungi to do what the plant needs it to do. The plant is in control. Not me and you, the gardeners. It's the plant that's in control. So that's, that's the basic soil food web system. But there have been, over the years, three things, I'm going to say, uh, that have added to that soil food web picture. The first is known as rhizobia bacteria. You and I know that as the as stuff that we roll clo you know, that we roll legumes in. Uh, and it forms, uh, when the root hairs form, uh, they curl around a bacteria that's attracted to the plant by the plant, uh, which gives that bacteria a little, a little space where oxygen can be limited and it can fix nitrogen, feed the plant, feed the soil. So that's that's the second part of the soil food web. The third part of the soil food web, which I covered in in in, in the book in 2017, I guess, uh, teaming with fungi, are, uh, are are the fungi that associate with the roots and form a symbiotic relationship, mycorrhizal fungi, and they take these nutrients from the soil and move them right into the plant. So we've got basically two things that are moving nutrients into the plant, this rhizobia, uh, although more of it comes when it dies, uh, and these, these mycorrhizal fungi. Now, the, the fourth book, Teeming with Bacteria, is about what are known as endophytic bacteria. Some of those bacteria that are attracted by the exudates that the plant is producing as a result of photosynthetic energy that it's using, some of those bacteria are tricked by the plant to back into the very tips of cells, the meristem cells in the root. And they're, they're tricked to back into that cell. They go through the cell wall, but they don't go into you know, the, the membraned cytoplasm section of the cell. So if you would imagine... I always use the tofu container that you see at your supermarket. The outer white part, that plastic, that's the cell wall of the root meristem cell. The tofu in the inside is all of the goodies that are inside the cell, the, you know, all the things that, that make enzymes and do all the, all the organelles. But around that tofu, it's floating in this water. That's known in, in cellular talk as the periplasmic space. And that's where these bacteria end up. And they get in there and the plant sprays them with a special super oxygenated uh, 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 chemical molecules and they strip off 
the cell wall of the bacteria and absorb that internally. And then they don't have a cell wall. They begin to move around the that little liquid section in the tofu container. Uh, and as they do, they don't have any cell wall anymore. They multiply. Bacteria multiply every 20 seconds. I mean, every 20 minutes. Now they don't have a cell wall, so it's probably even quicker. And as they multiply, they produce a nitrate that they spray at the plant to stop it from causing it to decay. And and that turns into nitrates, which the plant absorbs. Now, these bacteria are circulating around. The plant is circulating these bacteria, and they're multiplying inside the plant roots, meristem cell. And uh, they're also producing ethylene, which causes the root to stretch out, the cell begins to stretch out. That's what ethylene does inside a cell. When they get too plentiful, they back up against the cell wall, producing ethylene. It's not being circulated anymore. It's being produced in one spot. They create a little tube to form in the, in the cell wall, and out grows a root hair. And the bacteria are thrown into that root hair, and they're blown out of that root hair and there are five or six explosions as the root hair grows, throwing these bacteria back out into the soil where they regrow their cell walls, re-nutrify themselves. And then a couple, three or four days later, go back into a new meristem cell to, to do the same thing. So what we've got is the plant sort of farming in the first instance. It's 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 putting an exudate out there, it's attracting bacteria, it's attracting and it's and it and it farms those guys. Now we've got a situation where the plant is bringing them into the barn, shearing off the wool, taking a couple of you know lamb chops and then putting these guys back out into the pasture. So they're ranching. So we've got plants farming and ranching. That latter part is known as, I pronounce it, the rhizophagy cycle. Rhizo meaning root. Remember rhizosphere, that area right around the root? And phagy, which means eat. So it's like root eating. It got that name because the discoverer in Australia in 2010, so it's brand new. That's why you probably haven't heard about it. Uh, literally thought that the cell was opening up and bringing in the, the, the bacteria. It's the, not happening now. And there's a gentleman named Dr. James White at Rutgers University, who is really the guru of this stuff now. Uh, and it's really quite something. So we've got Dr. Elaine Ingham, uh, you know, with the original soil food web and all those, good, you know, the grace and the mycorrhizal fungi. And all of a sudden, we've got this new thing that results from the ability to be able to see uh, using different kinds of microscopy, uh, and different kinds of testing to, to ensure that what's going on is what we think is going on. So, whew, that was a mouthful, wasn't it? <laughs> it's absolutely fascinating. Uh, so much good information there. I do want to back up to the rhizosphere. You mentioned that pretty briefly. And from my understanding, the rhizosphere is a very, very small area. We're talking one to three millimeters. That's directly outside the root zone. And that's uh, really, that's where the cookies and cakes, what Dr. Elaine Ingham talks about, are in that area. And then that's where the actual exchange is happening with the bacteria. 
And I've got some pictures of that, by the way, in, in Teeming with Bacteria. Phenomenal pictures of uh, of these exudates attracting bacteria in that little in that little zone there. It's really, really phenomenal. Oh, that's so cool. So so the pH of the rhizosphere versus in the medium. So a lot of folks, they're gardening, they will do a runoff test to check the pH, or they'll do a slurry test, or they'll use like the Blue Lab probe that you can stick right into the medium and get an idea of what the pH is. However, from my understanding, the pH in the rhizosphere can be drastically different. Can you right. talk to us about that a little bit? Yeah, of course it can. Uh, and really, it's the only pH that, that counts if you're an organic gardener. Uh, you don't care what the pH is up on the surface. There are no roots there. And, you know, nothing's, nothing's being absorbed there. And, and incidentally, when I use that word absorb, root hairs, when I learned and when you learned, we always thought the purpose of a root hair was not to put bacteria out into the soil, which turns out to be their real purpose, but to absorb nutrients, which they do. But I think they absorb the nutrients as the root grows. You know, the the older hairs are there, and uh, you know, then I don't think they're absorbing nutrients as they're blow, as they're blowing up. Uh, and again, the pictures in the book are phenomenal. Literally, you see these bacteria pushed into this tube that is the root hair. The root hair is part of that original cell and pew, they're blown out into, it's just absolutely amazing. Uh, pew. Yeah, but, but it's, the, you know, it's, the pH may matter to them out there, but you and I as, as gardeners taking care of plants, it's the pH in that rhizosphere that we really care about. Uh, and it's caused by all the metabolites and the exudates and, and, and whatnot that are produced you know, we we don't recognize how big these populations of microbes are. Bacteria, holy crow. Uh, I always encourage people, I didn't include the picture in the book because it costs $400, but I always encourage people to, to look up on the web, uh, head of a pin bacteria, and then go to images. And there's several pictures of bacteria on the head. When we think of bacteria, you know, we're not we're not thinking about the unbelievable numbers that are there. Well, they're producing stuff all the time that impacts the quality of the soil, uh, slime, which creates soil structure and sticks things together, uh, and 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 the pH. Uh, uh, it's really really all happening at this little teeny level, uh, and, and and we don't know about it as gardeners because we can't really see it. So would you say measuring the pH of the runoff or doing a slurry test is is pointless or not useful to do because of the pH in the rhizosphere being the only thing that really matters? I've never had any real use for it, although it's 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 nice to know what the pH is in general. I mean, if you if you take your pH someplace in the root zone, not necessarily the rhizosphere, you know, and it's way out of whack, you know, there there there's a need for a fix there. Um because if it's not impacting the bacteria and the fungi and the nematodes and the protozoa right there in the rhizosphere, it's impacting other microbes that are in the soil food web that are outside of the rhizosphere. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, they're not they're not particularly a waste. What I like is, and I have to reveal that I'm an advisor to the company, is something called a microbiometer, uh, an invention that that enables you for five bucks and ten minutes to test the microbiomass of your soil, which correlates to nutrients. And it also has built in now a pH reading. Uh, and so you can sort of correlate some of this stuff together. It's 
it's really quite an invention. You can find it at www.microbiometer.com. Uh, it's, it's, it's really quite, quite useful because it tells you whether what you're doing is teeming with microbes. So, yeah, I was going to ask you about the microbiometer. So what would you do with that information if you were to get a result and the result is, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm not too familiar with it. It gives you a bacteria to fungi ratio, and then you can kind of make adjustments from there. So how would somebody go about taking the reading and then making adjustments in their garden? Well, uh, it also gives you a number. So so initially it was just the number. Uh, and then the company uh, added fungal bacteria because it's so important. Uh, and the reason why it's important is because fungal-dominated uh, soils versus bacteria-dominated soils are, are produce two different kinds of nitrogen. And so things that are in the ground for less than a year, that would be vegetables, annuals, uh, you know, row crop kind of things, they like, they like the nitrate that bacteria produce when they break down uh, and decay organic material. Uh, whereas trees and shrubs, they like the stuff that fungi break down. And so you want to try to get a ratio that's appropriate for your particular kind of plant. And that's a real gross oversimplification. Um, you, you need both in the, in, in the system. But um, the number tells you a starting point. And then you take a test later on. If the number's high enough, you, you know right away that your soils are good. Uh, if the number is low uh, or and or changes based upon what you're doing, if you're adding, uh, you know, algae to the soil, if you're adding rock sand, whatever you're doing to the soil, you can come back and measure it two or three, four weeks later and see whether it's having an impact increasing the biomass. Because if it is, you want to continue to do it. Got it. Okay. You mentioned algae. I want to actually talk about that. That's It's really interesting because a lot of people see algae in their garden. They think it's a bad thing. They think they need to start eradicating the algae. They need to make much of changes in the garden. But after reading your book, Team with Microbes, you have a section in there for algae. And uh, it's super interesting. Can you talk to us about algae? You know, I'm trying to remember. I, I, I was going to say to you that was the one thing I left out of Team with Microbes. I, you know, I wrote the book in 2006 originally. What you have is the revised edition. Um, uh, and incidentally on page 47, I think of the, of the first edition of either the revised edition or the regular, as well as the audio, uh, I reversed the definition of pH. pH is low, uh, when you have lots of, uh, uh, hydrogen ions and fungi tend to produce a lower pH. Bacteria tend to produce a higher pH. Uh, now I forgot your question. Oh, algae. So algae, algae is, has a couple of really kind of neat properties. It helps in forming soil structure, uh, and it's a it's a uh, organic uh, food for microbes. And so you know it, it has a lot of purposes. And of course, it's photosynthetic, um, and 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 so it can be adding to the soil in that regard. It's it's. And, and you're right. People don't understand. It's in the soil. It's in deserts. You know, we tend to think algae, hmm, algae, that's, that's pond scum. Uh, it's, you know, it's not in soil. It's not a desert with algae. Yeah, they have these little pads of pods of algae and stuff. It's, it's, it's interesting stuff. Uh, I, you know, I don't encourage people to go out and add algae to their garden, but you can. 
uh, and you certainly could add it to your compost pile. Uh, uh, that's probably the best place to add stuff is your compost pile and then add compost uh, to, your, to your plants. Uh, and the fall, incidentally, is in, in areas where you plant in the spring. The fall is the time to make sure that you've got a couple of inches of compost over your soils uh, so that you are you are working the process and feeding the soils and these microbes are working their way down into the soil uh, and into the root zone during the fall and winter so that by sp- spring, you've got some fertility back in your soil, which is, which is important for gardeners, if I could just add one other thing, because w- we really need to obey the law of return. What falls down from a tree, for example, is supposed to. Those leaves are supposed to decay. They contain all the nutrients that the plant sucked up out of the soil, and they decay and go back into the soil again and feed the plant. Uh, We're farmers, we're gardeners, we're growers. We remove things from the system. We violate the law of return. And it's important to make sure that you're uh, adding stuff back into the system in a timely basis so that you don't have to resort to chemicals. Period. Good point. Uh, one thing about algae that I wanted to, to bring up, I actually have a quote here from your book. And I don't think a lot of people know this. So that's why I, I wanted to read it here. Is you put, quote, the cell walls of diatoms, which algae, are composed of silica covered with an organic skin that decays and disappears after the organism dies, leaving behind, in huge numbers, the silica skeletons that make up diatomaceous earth. So algae, once it's dying off, it's leaving behind silica. Well, it's a kind of algae. I mean, there are lots of different kinds of algae. Uh, but yes, uh, and, and not, not all of it does, but, but certainly that does. And, and, you know, that diatomaceous earth, if you ever get a chance to look, in the, look at that stuff under a microscope, it's fascinating. I mean, it has all these pore spaces and, uh, uh, you know, it's just, it's spectacular root condominium and provides a little bit of food and substance and, uh, drainage and storage it's it's of water it's really amazing stuff yeah a lot of people use it as either like a preventative or to battle fungus gnats you know they, they keep it in there and it, it helps uh, tackle that population but correct me if i'm wrong that diatomaceous earth that's not really in a usable form that the plant can uptake right it needs to be broken down by microbes in order to be in what silicic acid or, or orthosilicic acid in order for the plant to uptake well yeah it has to be it has to go into ionic form uh, in order for it to be taken up by the plants. Uh, Teeming with uh, nutrients, the second book I wrote. The first book really was was designed to explain the soil food web as we knew it at the time. This is how food gets to the plant. And it occurred to me one day after I wrote the book that I had no idea how food gets inside the plant. And then once it's inside, what's it doing there? And so teeming with nutrients is about that particular subject. And, and, and one of the take-homes is the microbes in the soil food web system break down the nutrients into the proper ionic form so that they can get through that cell membrane, which is, again, going back to my tofu container, which is, you know, holding all of that tofu together in that little tofu block. Uh, and that membrane has little uh, 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 proteins in it that act as tunnels. And there are various different ways that individual 
uh, ions, nutrient ions can move through. And each tunnel is specific for the one kind of ion, which is really mind-blowing. When you think of something like, you know, boron, just a teeny little bits used, and they, the plant has to make that protein and insert it into the membrane in order to be, ah, it's just, it's an amazing, we, we think plants are stupid and dumb, they are unbelievable microcosms of 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 the of Earth and what goes on in Earth. They're phenomenal. And we think we know a lot about plants and soil biology, but we probably know a fraction of what's actually out there, right? <laughs> oh well, I can tell you. I mean, I would never have told you that I would be writing a book on teeming with bacteria. I mean, it just wasn't even in the realm even three years ago. Uh, yeah, and now it's it's at the point where. Uh, we've learned so much. For example, um, uh, certain plants have trichomes. Tomatoes have trichomes. Uh, As a result of studying rhizophagy, we now know that what's happening inside trichomes is nitrogen fixation by bacteria. Uh, And you get the same kind of reaction. You don't don't necessarily get the stripping and the... But you get get multiplication. uh, You get... You get uh, d- different chemicals being produced, some of which are very wanted chemicals, uh, to, to lower the oxygen level so that this fixation can take place. Those little, We now know what's going on in those factories, which we didn't know before. So when you, when you take your tomato plant uh, you know, and you, you, that smell comes from rubbing those trichomes, that's probably some kind of a metabolite coming from bacteria that are in those trichomes as you crush them with a with your hand. Unbelievable stuff. And uh, I, we haven't even gotten into the other endophytic bacteria because some of these bacteria go in and then they're ejected out. But some of these bacteria stay inside the plant and move throughout the plant and do a number of things that benefit the plant. First of all, as they go into the plant and they cause the plant to spray this, what's known as RO, onto the bacteria to strip those walls, the plant goes, oh, wait a minute, I better strengthen my own cell wall or I'm going to be stripping my cell walls by mistake. And so it increases its strength. Uh, It's better able to handle stress as a result of the bacteria invasion. Then these bacteria produce phytohormones, gibberellic acid, auxins, uh, all the things, ethylene, all the things that you want to have a good, healthy uh, plant, these guys are inside the plant producing them. And then it gets even wilder. There's a phyllosphere around the leaves, which is like the rhizosphere. uh, And then there's the area around the flower. Well, the bacteria get into that area and they get trapped into the seed coat. And so when the plant seed germinates in new soil, it brings with it the kinds of bacteria that are beneficial to that particular plant. Whoa! And over the past five or 10 years, farmers in particular, and in the book, I hope we're going to start getting more gardeners uh, and growers, uh, have been using various different kinds of bacteria uh, to, to fix nitrogen inside the plant and to do all sorts of really cool things for the plant to help it be stronger and better. Uh, these, these are known as endophytic bacteria. Uh, one that uh, 
you know, these medicinal growers use is, is uh, uh, azospirillium. Uh, it can be purchased. Uh, it's in a spore form. It has a, a fairly long shelf life. Uh, but there's a mix of five or six bacteria that people can use uh, to, to get benefits out of their plants. And, de- and depending on what the plant is, different bacteria impact the, impact the plant different ways. So there's a difference for some plants when you use vermicompost versus using thermocompost because there's a different bacterial base in either one of those. Whoa. So, you know, I, I, I don't want to overwhelm people with all of this information. And I promise you, if you pick up Teeming with Microbes and read it and don't understand what I'm talking about, I'll buy that book back from you at three times the price. Now, nobody's ever taken me up because, and it's not, it's not me, it's the subject matter. Once you have the vocabulary and understand the system, and it really is just a little guy getting eaten by a bigger guy getting eaten by a bigger guy, and what are those populations doing in there before they get eaten? Uh, it's really simple stuff and really easy to understand. You will finish the book and you will never garden the same again. You can't. Incredible. Yeah, definitely mind blown off of uh, a lot of that stuff. The endophytic bacteria, uh, also called endophytes. Which is what a mycorrhizal fungi is, by the way. It's an endophyte. Mm. You you mentioned that it can be purchased. Is the application rate, is it something that's sprayed onto the plant as like a, a foiler or is it actually a soil drench? Or a drench. The ones I've seen are drenches, but I'm sure they're sprays. Uh, but this has lots of implications for people who are growing plants. I mean, if the plant is bringing to the soil the bacteria that it needs, well, doesn't that mean maybe we should be reusing our soil, not throwing it away? Because it's full of bacteria that we need. Now, we've got to make sure that the law of return has been taken care of. But why do people throw away soil? That's the craziest thing I ever heard of. Even pulling up a tomato plant out of a pot doesn't make any sense to me. You cut the plant, you plant right there, leave the roots where they are. They form channels that have organic material that decay. They have the right bacteria right there in the rhizosphere. And the roots of the new plant will grow down into those little tubes uh, and benefit from all of this stuff. I mean, there's so much we can learn by just listening to the plant. And unfortunately, we have to listen with microscopes and, and we have to have people like James White and, and Elaine Ingham, uh, you know, do this stuff. I don't invent this stuff. All I do is report it. Uh, and, and, and my hat's off to these people who have really, uh, I think, changed the tenor of gardening. When, when I started gardening with my, with my dad, bacteria, that was bad. Fungi, that was bad. We sterilize soil. No. I mean, you know, we we know growers that sterilize seeds today. No. And if you start seeds, you know, your tomato seeds in a you know, in a paper towel situation, you don't just take the little new seedling and put it in the soil because there are bacteria that jumped off that seed that are in the paper towel. Bury the paper towel, too. Uh, so w- w- we start to think more logically, what is the plant doing and how can we help the plant do that as opposed to using chemicals, which we haven't really talked about. When you use chemicals, there are now proven studies that using chemicals reduces the bacteria 
and the bacterial activity. When you use organics, you increase that. Well, that's all I need to know. Uh, I mean, in, you know, in the book at the time in 2006, when Teaming with Microbes was written, you know, basically the discussion was that s- some of these chemicals killed the bacteria. Uh, later on in the revised edition, it was some kill, uh, some increased populations and changed the ratio of the populations. Well, that's not what the plant wants either. The plant is in control. You, you put down XYZ fertilizer. Uh, and all of a sudden, you get a lot more XYZ bacteria uh, than you than you necessarily want. S- so the natural system works. It's always worked. No one fertilizes the forest that you go and spend time in. No one fertilizes the redwoods. I like to say, uh, you know, nobody put the, the 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 fertilizers down there and sprayed them with herbicides and chemicals. They did it themselves because they use the microbial system. It works. It's the basis of regenerative gardening. It's the you know it's the basis of no-till. This is where you want to start, folks. If you don't know anything about what I'm talking about here, and if you know about some of it already, you want to continually use the internet to continually update the information because we're learning more and more all the time. You mentioned throwing away soils, and I think the reason why a lot of people do that is because they are using chemicals, right? And uh, they're worried about the balance of ions being off balance. You know, if you have uh, an excess of some cations, it's going to lock out. It's going to prevent the uptake of other cations, for right. example, right? Well, the same so thing with if the, yeah, the gross pH too, same thing. I mean, if you have the you know really bad pH in all of the soil, it's it's going to lock up a lot of the stuff. Sure. So for the folks that are using chemicals and switching over to organic, you're saying they could probably rehab that soil that they use chemicals in. How would you go about doing that? I'd throw it in a compost pile. Compost? Uh, I mean, to me, that's the best way. Uh, You throw it in a compost pile, you let the compost uh, microbes take care of the situation. And it, you know, it definitely works. There's no question about it. Um, You know, I I don't want to leave the subject without mentioning that you can use too much organic material as well. Uh, so, so this time of year, I always tell, I write a garden column, I always tell my readers, you know, an inch or two of compost, that's it. You know, it, we don't plant, we don't do raised beds in compost. It has, it has, you know, it's got too much phosphorus, phosphorus in it, uh, phosphates, uh, and, and a lot of them are locked up, of course, but it changes the whole tenor of the soil. So just you, you know, a little bit, the plant will take what it needs, uh, but you don't want to overdo it. Right? What is the doctor at least the Goldilocks rule? Uh, and and uh, now I use compost teas. There are a lot of people that just simply say there's no science behind it. I To me, I've always had great success. I've turned my lawn green uh, using compost tea. So I, maybe it's the tenor of the compost. I don't know. But if you don't like the idea of compost tea, use compost. No question. Yeah, I think the the point of the compost tea would be to multiply the microbes in that tea, right, right faster than you would with just adding compost in, right? Right, right, uh, and, and and yeah, you're multiplying it. Whereas you can make a leachate by taking the compost, you know, and putting it into a bag and uh, squeezing it in 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 a you know a bucket of fairly you know, nice warm water, uh, and you'll get microbes from the compost there, but they just won't multiply. So you have to feed them and aerate them to get the multiplication. But again, it's very, it's very hard to find great scientific studies to say it works. And yet, 
what I do when I do my side by side with cilantro and different things. Holy crow! I haven't used you know. I mean, it's it works for me. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. Maybe it's just my imagination. Uh, <laughs> now with, with composting. I just started vermicomposting last year. And uh, from my understanding, there can be bad bacteria in there as well. So you have to kind of worry about that, making sure you're composting correctly. Can you talk to us about like good bacteria versus bad bacteria and how to kind of avoid the bad bacteria? Yeah. Well, you know, you, you let's take about, let's talk about vermicomposting. I mean, the there's no thermal activity here. The stuff is going through the worm and the worm is cleaning the stuff up. Uh, if you if you take the stuff when it's too young, you know it'll still have s- some of the c- castings won't have been, uh, you know the, the they won't be the way you want them. Uh, s- Vermicast. I always let my stuff go for about six months. Then I then I use it. Uh, thermal compost is is a different thing. The, it's the heat and the cycling that takes care of the bad guys and. Uh, you know, if it goes anaerobic and stays anaerobic, if you don't turn it the right way, uh, you can have pockets of anaerobic, anaerobic stuff, uh, depending on what you're using as, as your base material. You know, if you're going, or, going around the neighborhood and picking up black bags of leaves that people leave on the curb in the fall uh, without checking to make sure that they don't have a dog, uh, you know, you may be putting manure in there. A lot of people use fish guts and different kinds of things you got to make sure that it's composted and 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 there are studies that indicate that many many yard composters don't actually thoroughly compost their compost and so they may end up with different things on it that they don't want uh and anaerobic bacteria uh is what e coli is blah blah you know the, the bad guys tend to be anaerobic uh, and so you want to make sure that you're turning it, that it's getting to the heat, that all parts of it are being turned and get to the heat. Um, uh, and, and you want to make sure uh, that your imp- inputs are known. Uh, I don't like to use horse manure, for example. It's got tetracycline in it. I don't want that tetracycline, any possibility that any would be left. Um, yeah, so you just have to pay attention. Or... You just pile it up and leave it there for a couple of years and you'll have some great compost. <laughs> the easy way, right? Yeah. What are your thoughts on Bokashi composting? Yeah, it's all great. You know, I mean, it, it, it's all great. You got to take, you know, you get the leachate from the Bokashi, uh, but you got to take the stuff and put it in a pile at some point in time anyway, uh, to me, uh, to finish the job. Um, you know, Korean natural farm, all of that stuff, it's all good. Uh you know, those tend to be uh, anaerobic, uh, but they use lactic acid and, and the same stuff that's in yogurt. And, um, yeah, they're all good. It's all microbes. We're teaming. You know, some people team differently than others. Okay. And then for the earthworms, I want to get a little bit deeper into that, specifically for vermicomposting or even people just having worms in their bed. Can you talk to us about the earthworms? Is there a specific type that they should use? You know, we've got uh, red wigglers, African nightcrawlers, European nightcrawlers. There's a variety that can be used. Right, right. I, I always use the red w- wigglers. Uh, what, we, what we're worried about now is that new worm that's beginning to pop up all over the place. It's uh, that little band that's around it is, is, is different than the earthworm. Uh, earthworms that we're used to. 
these guys move like crazy, uh, and they're very destructive to the duff layer. Uh, we've already got a problem with fishermen who go fishing with even red wigglers. Uh, you know, they're in Michigan, and they're not, they don't catch anything because they don't live where I live in Alaska, which has got all the great fishing. Uh, and so they throw their fishing worms out at the end of the day as they're going back to their car, and those worms multiply, and they eat the duff. Uh, and and then they mess up the mycorrhizal symbiosis, uh, and we end up, uh, you know, with, with some serious problems. So you got to be careful what you use. Uh, to me, I use vermicompost in a vermicompost bin. Uh, I'm not a big one on throwing worms around. Um, they'll come if your soil is good. Uh, if you live in an area that has worms, and I think most people in the in the United States do live in an area that has worms. Oddly enough, when I first came to Alaska, we really basically didn't. Uh, and I still get letters from from readers and emails that say, "What are these little lumps in my lawn?" Well, those lumps are vermicompost. Those are verm. Those are castings. Worm castings. They're not really compost. Uh, and what goes through a worm concentrates the nutrients. Uh, you know, x to, x more times nitrogen, x more. All it's just a phenomenal opportunity uh, to enrich or concentrate nutrients in your soil. Uh, people I know used to throw night crawlers around. I don't think that makes any sense. You want you want your worms to be in a bin. Uh, worms will get into the soil. It's not something that I really encourage. So we are getting towards the end of the episode here. And a couple things I like to close out on would be advice for new gardeners. Do you have anything maybe we haven't talked about in this episode that you think should be brought up or, you know, advice for new gardeners? Well, again, I mean, I, I, and of course it's self-serving, but read Teeming with Microbes. Understand the soil food web. And if you don't understand the soil food web Teeming with Microbes, uh, I think the United States Department of Agriculture, Dr. Elaine, wrote a, a little picture booklet uh, about the soil food web, very very simplistic Look on the on the internet if you don't want to buy a book, or you know, and and read about the soil food web. That's how your plants work. Don't start with chemicals. That's not the way to go. I know you're being yelled at by some Scotch guy, you know, every spring to do X, Y, and Z. I know people tell you that glyphosate's safe. Uh, this is not something that you want to be fooling around with. You want to be an organic gardener. You want to be a natural gardener. Uh, and it's really easy to do. The work comes when you have to convert from a chemical situation to an organic situation, which ultimately is where you're going to want to be. When you go to the supermarket, do you buy chemical-laden apples? Do you buy chemical-laden fruit? Or do you buy organic? You buy organic. Uh, and so you want to grow your own organic as well. And it's so easy to do because the plant is in charge. And if you get the plant to balance what it needs, your input's water, and that's basically it. Water and then the, the compost as well, right, that you have to water, add in every once in yes, a while? Yes, absolutely, yeah. Or, or different kinds of mulches. I mean, you can use mulches, which are compost in the making, um, but, but one or the other you should be using. There are no bare soils. Uh, uh, don't roll till 
Um, it's not necessary, and it, and it breaks up the soil food web and just displaces members of the soil food web that are supposed to be, you know, in one zone uh, to another zone where, you know, where it takes a long time for them to get back into the root system. It messes up the mycorrhizal network that's been created in your garden. So you got to be careful. Uh, and again, it, it's just... What, what I'm saying to you is if you start out knowing what the soil food web is, it's going to be really easy to start gardening. If you go chemical, you got to figure out what those chemicals do, how much to use, how much to measure, when to use them, when not to use them. Uh, and it, it really m makes gardening work. And it's not supposed to be work. It's supposed to be a wonderful hobby. Well said. So wrapping things up. How can the listeners find you, and what do you have upcoming in the future? Ooh, I don't think I'm going to be writing any more books, but that's what I said after the first one. Uh, uh, man, I'll tell you what. Um, you can find me on Instagram and and whatnot uh, at Gardner Jeff. JeffLowenfels.com is my uh, website. Uh, if you need to email me, you can do so. Uh, my email is not hard to find. Um, and uh, there are lots of different things that you ought to be looking at other than me. Go on the internet, look up the soil food web, uh, and learn about it from as many different sources as you can. And then teaming with bacteria and you, your new book now released. So I actually put a link to your book down in the YouTube description section below, or you can just search for it on Amazon. It'll pop up. Super. And if you need, if you need it in different foreign languages, uh, all of them have been translated, uh, available in audio. Uh, although I don't know this, this next one, I don't know if they're going to be able to do an audio on it because it has so many bacterial names and they're really hard to pronounce. You don't have to do that as you read the book. Just, go buy them. Uh, but yeah, you, you should definitely take a look at these books. Uh, take a look at the reviews uh, on, on Amazon uh, and see whether they'll be helpful for you. I think they will. Fantastic. Well, like I mentioned, I'll definitely have a link to your book down in the YouTube description section below. Also your Instagram, I'll link that down in the YouTube description section below. If you enjoyed this episode, click that thumbs up button. Also subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Every single weekend, I'm releasing a new Garden Talk podcast episode, and I would love for you to tune into future episodes. Jeff, thank you so much for coming on. This has been insightful, great conversation. I think there's a lot of things here that you had mentioned today that my audience is going to take away and definitely gain some value from. So thanks again for coming on. My pleasure. Always a pleasure to be on Mr. Crowett. Thank you so much. <laughs> Peace out, everyone. See you in the next episode.